Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Uh, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show highlighting issues around homelessness. Uh, my name's Bill, and for the next hour, my guests will be talking about alcoholism and the family disease. I'd like to welcome Odette and Daniel to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi. Hi, how are you? Hi, Bill. Um, as members of al family groups, they all share their experience of living with the effects of alcoholism and how al has helped them. Uh, so we usually start talking about sort of growing up and, you know, early life. Uh, so, Dan, I might start with you. Um, what, was, what was it like growing up in your house? Uh, confusing, <laughs> very confusing. It it started off, you know, um, I was I was just like uh, what I hope most kids are like, quite confident, quite um, quite good at first. Um, what it became though, um, once I once I got to about eight years old, I, I had this massive awareness all of a sudden. I think my defences had slowly been worn down by the comments from, mostly comments from other families and other people about my dad's alcoholism and um, the amount that was, the amount of drinking. And so um, it it sort of hit me in a big way though when it did hit me. It was like um, a great big epiphany and everything was bright that day. Everything really sort of slugged me. Um, And then then basically I, I got this... Uh, slowly but surely, a big load of anxiety just uh, came on me, especially when I had to perform anything. So whether it be school, homework, uh, church, social things, it, it anything. It just, uh, it just, I became very aware of what um, of what it maybe was to be an alcoholic, even though I was just an eight-year-old kid. Yep, looking on. Right. Um, so what, what are the members of the family, were you? where were you in the pecking order? Yeah, okay, so I'm six, I'm the, I'm the baby, <laughs> six, um, so there's, there's four boys in my family, two girls, three boys, two girls, and myself, so, um, yeah, I, uh, I don't know why, but I took on a really strong, uh, weight of, of having to... I kind of, I guess, because I was the last boy and the last, the last uh, baby of mum's. Um, she obviously didn't mind having children, so yeah. Um, I actually sided with my mum a lot, and um, and I was always being picked up. I was still, I'd only just really come out of that stage, and um, and the thing was, I guess I was um, her salvation in a lot of ways that maybe dad couldn't be, so. Um, yeah, she 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 probably liked to 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 hold on to that innocent side, that 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 side of people that uh, can imagine great things. Still, yeah, I think that's how our our relationship uh, it transcended sort of a lot of the 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 less than behaviour that we we found ourselves caught up in. Yeah. So, how did your dad's drinking affect you? Yeah, directly. Um, it was quite embarrassing. It's just mostly embarrassing at the start. Um, I, I think with that awareness, initial awareness, I was I was painfully embarrassed when he would be too drunk. Yeah. And uh, 
and couldn't kind of walk well or yeah. <laughs> something like that. But um, and also, I, I guess uh, the more your parents, particularly your parents, uh, my dad was a really strong character, very very capable, high functioning. Um, when you see a parent that way, it it just put doubts in me, and that 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 started off a process that that I'm only now, you know, really getting a handle on. Yeah. But basically set a tone. Yeah. So was that anxiety? Was that... Yeah, 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 absolutely anxiety, but also fear. Um, Fear of the just, uh, you know, seeing certainty be so weak, maybe, you know, and um, in those moments uh, when your dad's a strong man when he's not drinking, really not so strong when he's drinking. Yeah. And the doubt surfaced. Uh, you can't hide that, I, I guess, you know. No. No, I think kids see right mm. through all that as well. And they can see the, yeah. they can see the person and they can see the effects of the alcoholism, um, but they, and they can't reconcile it. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. Um, I couldn't believe in hindsight, actually, how many of my, my friends at school from a young age were spotting these, uh, the, these things in, in the parents. Um, and... You know, I was taught a high level of denial uh, yeah. from mums oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and from good, the rest a good, of the family. A good alcoholic family. Yeah. Uh, it's a good trade. <laughs> but, um, yeah, anyway, so just um, – but but what my friends uh, were always picking up on, I think, is just that innate thing that kids do, whether it's dangerous or it's not. Kids will see that danger and, um, and alcoholism comes across as danger. Or it did to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so – did you did you sort of feel that expectation that you had to perform that you had to be better? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah there, there was um, like this grandiose expectation that that my dad sort of had um, of all of us. Um, so if we weren't winning on the sports field or, or whatever we like to do, um, he, uh, he 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 would just let you know is all, and uh, it, it just became. Uh, I, I just remember. Uh, a lot of uh, things that I stopped doing was I just didn't want the comparisons. I, I didn't want to be shouted down for running second instead of first. Um, but that, that, that did all happen if I didn't run first. So I don't know if every parent uh, does that, but it didn't seem <laughs> I don't right. Think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think being the confusion about the alcoholic's behavior, the, how much it changes. Um, is very confusing. Um, sure. So, how about your mum though? What did she? How did she sort of try to compensate for the situation? Yeah, my mum was really loving to me and really overdoting at times, uh, which which suited my character actually. Yeah. So, so maybe she saw something that that I maybe never gave, gave her enough credit for. But she, she definitely, like I said before, um, I think from the things she was missing out on from her husband, uh, could get some of that back through a male child, especially um, when I was, uh, I was quite confident before I was aware of the alcoholism. Uh, it was so confident, and, and yeah. that probably gave mum some, oh, it's going to be all right, you know, um, because yeah. <laughs> definitely, you know, a lot of moments of her wondering whether to, to leave, but she, she also loved this man and she also wanted to help. Um, but but groups weren't easy to find where we were in the country growing up. Um, information wasn't what it is now. Uh, anyway, um, yeah. So so she just made uh, the best of what circumstances she had really, and a lot of that was was poured into our relationship. 
Yeah. So what was it like at school for you? School started great. It really did that, that innate uh, confidence and purity that kids have with imagination. I, I just was born to live. I could feel it, I, and I was born to imagine good things. Um, so what came as a surprise is after three good years, bang, sitting in class one day, that's when I had the awareness that, that my dad might be an alcoholic, and in fact probably was. And that's when... Um, the world just changed. The colour went out of the world. It, it, it was it was a, such a big moment. Um, I was quite surprised by the enormity of the moment because from that point on, though, um, with nobody whispering in my ear, nothing being said to me, I was now officially aware that my dad had alcoholism in my own way and it started to squeeze the life out of me. It started to put pressure on me and then the anxiety, the huge anxieties that would come. And that was completely foreign. I, wa- I wasn't a kid that had anxieties up until the awareness. Yeah. yeah. Really yeah. strange. Yeah. So how did the denial in the family you know, work out in your family? What sort of things didn't you tell other people? Uh, basically how I dress. <laughs> you know, didn't want, uh, didn't want people to come around is, is what I'm saying. Um, yeah. But, um, well... We we were we were t- sort of in 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 a denial is all uh, because mum had to probably maybe she didn't have to be but she was in a denial trying to raise six kids it was such a hard you know ask anyway yeah. we'd move from the city to the country as a geographical um, which I, I was unaware of at the time but we've since spoken about and um, yeah. Um, I'm just uh, th- th- things that sort of got squeezed out were um, j- just that family, that quality family time. Mm. We were um, not having that much anymore, and uh, every member started getting busy. Um, but it was busyness um, to avoid, yeah, to avoid yeah. that elephant in the room. You know, yeah. didn't didn't want to be home for too long just in case. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah he, th- things could just turn so quickly. I guess. Yeah, okay. Um, now, Odette, we'll go back to you. So what was what was family life like for you growing up? For me, it was just, um, it, it was very quiet. Um, we, my parents moved um, from um, over the other side of the world to um, Australia, so we didn't have too much family. Um, I knew a little bit of history of my mum's family, but we were basically the only ones in, in Melbourne. Um, so it was basically my brother, my mum, dad and me. So it was quite quiet, but it was quite peaceful. Um, yeah, that was probably about it. That's how I could describe it. Right, Okay. <laughs> So, um, as a child, did you did you think you were different? I did. I was um, I was given um, my mum and my brother and I went back overseas when I was about four, and my beautiful father said to me, "Just make sure you look after your mother." And so I think <laughs> I became an adult at the age of four because children quite you know take things quite literally. So I felt like I was an adult and I was responsible. Um, from that moment, and so uh, from then on, I was quite an overly responsible, you know, young four-year-old, and that carried on through my life. Mm. So did you feel capable as well as responsible? T- 
totally capable of everything because why would my dad say you could look after your mother at the age of four? I was totally capable. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, And so did you realise that you were different to other kids? I did because they tended to just go and do things naturally. I always had a bit of a fear of failure or a bit of a fear of standing out um, and being pointed at or ridiculed. Um, and I didn't. I just didn't like that feeling because I had this capable thing, so I've got to be capable all the time. I can't look less than. Right, okay. So how did that play out in your reactions with kids? Um, I, I, was, I think I became a chronic people pleaser. Um, I would maybe let go of a lot of myself rather than being um, true to myself. Um, I might just go along with things rather than than um, sort of actually stand up and say what I really meant. Right, okay. Uh, and so you have a relationship with Dan, and so mm-hmm. you were attracted. Why were you attracted to Dan? Well, there was this musician that kind of looked like Bono from U2. That's <laughs> it. I was gone. I was sold. Um, but I really saw, you know, it for me, it was uh, an extremely genuine soul. I could, I, when I looked at Dan, I just knew immediately that you know, I was, I was pretty much in love. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, and so, what about Dan caused you to have problems? Um, my beautiful husband suffered from anxiety, right. and um, as I'm a born renovator and love my renovation shows. He was obviously a fixer-upper that I saw straight away. And um, I, um, you know, we got together and um, there would be some um, abusive prescription medication, which um, I didn't understand what was going on. Um, And so there was this... Um, it was like uh, basically living with kind of a Jekyll and Hyde. There was this beautiful man that I was in love with and then um, medication would come in and it would just be, who the hell is this person? Um, but I did, from a very, very early time, I was very grateful to, goodness knows what, high power, whatever, but had instilled in me that these two people are ex- are different. They're, they're separate. Yep. And so I was able to continue loving this this person and as soon as the prescription medication was there, I was just like, no, just leave that alone. Okay. Yeah. So it must have been an unusual relationship. It was. It made me, you know, overly responsible from a young age, so let's just take it on and, and just run with it. So... I would be trying to fix, fix, manage, control, um, and you know, oh well, we'll just do this, we'll just do that. I was really good at pointing the finger and having those three fingers pointing right back at me. You know, if you only stopped that, we'd be doing well here. You know, we'd be doing well financially. We'd be able to go out with our friends, and this wouldn't happen. And that, and if you did this, 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 mm. and why don't you go to rehab? And why don't you go to counselling? There was never anything wrong with me, Bill. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so what did you think when you met his family? I thought they were the most loving um, family coming from, as I said, there was only four of us kind of in Melbourne, you know, my family, and I move, you know, across and see this family of six and, you know, two adults at home. They were hugging each other and it was just like, oh, my gosh, this family's so demonstrative. This is fantastic. And I felt really embraced and loved. Um, 
Yeah, that was the initial thoughts. So what? when did you discover that alcoholism was a problem? When I tried to say no to certain things that the family were doing, or actually the big thing was when I actually stuck up for my husband. So there would be things um, coming out, you know, discussions that we'd be having in the family, and there was always this blame thing. And I'd say, well, I'm really sorry, that's not Daniel. And my gosh, the the... It was literally Vesuvius went off because somebody had said something and and I just thought, hang on a second, something's not, you know, it's not quite right here. Not quite right. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, so you two got together. Mm-hmm. Yep. So how did yep. li- life progress as you lived with, with each other longer? Living with each other. Okay. So, yes, it was, you know, about 1993 when we met and um, got together and it, gradually over many years – um, my anxiety levels got um, quite high. Um, I was definitely in a fixed managed control state. Um, I would I noticed that I would be doing extra work at work just to maybe stay away from things. But my excuse for it was, well, we need more money because you know we've got to keep on top of things. Um, and it 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 really was putting a bit of a wedge between us. I, I felt like. You know, as Lady Di says, there was three people in our marriage and I didn't know that there were three people in our marriage because I didn't I wasn't aware of the disease, but that's what it was like. There was something there that I was fighting against that I didn't know I was fighting against. Right. Okay. Um so were you trying to fix fix Dan? Were you trying to oh, solve the problems? Absolutely. Yeah. Because I there was as I say, there was nothing wrong with me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> So how did that play out? What sort of things were you trying to do? Um, get him off the prescription medication, trying to work out what was um, – I was actually looking at trying to see what the root cause was and I could see what the root cause was, but um, I didn't I didn't have the tools or anything to be able to, to do anything about it. I, I had no tools for life in this because okay. my family was quite peaceful. Yep, okay. <laughs> um, so, Dan, with you, um, you know, you realised your family was had a problem and you were, I guess, getting increasingly an- anxious about, you know, who you were. So what happened at school? Were you, you know, did things change once you, that realisation struck? Yeah, sure. I, um, I really was struggling to concentrate uh, from an early age. Um, I, I kind of dispelled that in the beginning in grade school and went... No, no, I've got this. That's fine. So I, I got really lost with my friends at first, and, and tried to, you know, I, I would avoid things like being picked up by my my dad, because if I got yeah. picked up, there would be a can and there would yeah. be a cigarette. And yeah. um, anyway, but um, it's um, after that actually, you know, I, I I got through the phase of trying to do most things. Um, I guess you know kids do just to combat their school um when i got to high school it was now just so telling that i couldn't concentrate for 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 what was happening at home uh, my my mind was always there my mind was always you know um what what am i going to expect tonight what what to expect it was always just um Dad sober was 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 the gold star, you know that that was the icing. But it so rarely happened yeah. um, that it just broke my heart, and it just kept breaking it every time. And and 
I wished I could have handled it better, but I, I was a kid and I, I, I handled it how I handled it. But um, it, it, what, what I really noticed beyond, beyond the confusion was I was always, especially in the high, high moments of uh, high times of dad drinking a lot, uh, I was depleted quite a lot. I, I could feel my, my physicality would go down really quick. And it took me, I, you know, I, I didn't have the resources or the tools to speak to go and see a doctor at that age by myself. Yeah. So I, I just endured it. But I remember things like meals, I would, I would load up on, on good nutrition um, because it just seemed right uh, with what I was combating, which yeah. I think is just really telling in hindsight. Yeah, just, <laughs> isn't it? A yeah. little. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Podcasts of the Living Free Show are available on 3cr.org.au forward slash living free and also on iTunes. If you have a question or comment about the show, then you can give us and uh, call the station on 9419 8377 or send us an email at 3CR Living Free at gmail.com. We're on Facebook at 3CR Living Free and also Twitter at 3CR The Radiothon was on the 12th of June um, and Living Free Show managed to raise $1,625, which is fantastic. So your financial support uh, helped keep Living Free and 3CR on the air for another year. So big thanks to that. We've had a couple of donations since the last show um, from Don, uh, from Claire, from Jill, from Robin, and from Elaine. Thank you very much. Um, thanks to everybody who's donated to the 3CR's annual Radiothon. It was a great success. But if you did forget to donate, it's not too late. Help us get over the line. We're so close and reach our $250,000 target by donating now. You can call on 9419 8377 or go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate and find out how you can donate. My name's Bill and I'm talking with Odette and Daniel about living with the family disease of alcoholism. So, Dan, we might just go back to you so you're still at school it's getting a bit bit harder to concentrate and <laughs> keep going so how does that how does that work out works out with me um leaving actually taking um two months off sick before i actually thought i got to the right age where i was allowed to leave <laughs> so um yeah that was uh, I, I just remember that because i just couldn't wait um i couldn't wait to try the next transition of my life the next stage to hopefully fix things yeah, um, and that is going to work now as a fifteen-year-old, <clears throat> and um, and maybe this money, maybe bringing in regular money, is going to bring the stress levels down and, and miraculously heal this disease of alcoholism. Yeah. But so was it, there was there pressure to go to work? An unspoken pressure, sure, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, my dad had had a head injury um, in in late '82. And uh, so that was in the crossover for me going from grade school. I was just in the holidays waiting to go to um, um, to a secondary college, and and he had a an accident at work, and that that definitely brought in pressures uh, financially. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, what's it like then being being a young kid out in the workforce trying to help? help the family keep going <laughs> it was tough it was so tough i i i couldn't believe um now i i had complete affirmation that my anxiety was so out of control 
because yeah. the way I responded to things weren't in line with how most people seem to respond around me, yeah. even the same age kids uh, in that environment. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't make you feel any more relaxed, does it? <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. That, that was just, um, yeah, uh, the, the things were just starting to add up that maybe th- there was just something completely wrong with me. You know, and, and, and I think that's the deceiving part about growing up in in an alcoholic home was you start taking things on uh, that aren't aren't yours, aren't yours to take yeah. on and it aren't aren't real. But um but they're very real to you at the moment. And um and despite, you know, my mum wanting to keep a good brave face on, on things going forward and um and my dad too, you know, um Things for me weren't 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 going great. Uh, it was it was something we didn't talk about. Also, so um, it it was it was not something where I could unload and sort of rationalise things out with my family. So um, it it just did remain that uh, unspoken white elephant in the room. It's just uh, but but big pressure yeah. you put on. Um, so did things change? In, in the family dynamics? Uh, it's funny. When, when I did work, the busier I was, uh, it, it initially it gave me time to... Um, it sort of was like, oh, he, he's very capable. So there, there was sort of almost a celebratory thing around that. Um, but in time, it, it just sort of would always get outweighed by the next crisis right. at home. Yeah. So... And and they were coming thick and fast, so thick and fast, I thought we were cursed. I just I remember asking mum and dad one day, oh, do, you, do you think we're cursed? You know, I, I was 100% serious. That's, um, That's an unusual question, isn't it? You know, was, from a young kid, it just was. Yeah. They did look puzzled. They looked very puzzled. But um, yeah. anyway, um, they denied it. But <laughs> I think they had to. But but it, to me, I had those questions though, and they were just so real. Um, and I see that now when I see um, Alateen kids and the like. Um, the, the, there's like it's it's an unspoken language that that goes on for from adult child to adult child, or and now, like I say, even me just seeing other kids um, at that age that I was, I can just see a lot of the pain and the hurt that they're going through, and and quite often. We were catching a train back from a concert um, recently and we saw a kid that um, just, you know, his parents were under the influence and they'd yeah. taken their three kids out to a pub, yeah. which is a great Friday night thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> but but the, this one kid was just particularly, I could just feel his, uh, his his pain and his embarrassment. He was just very embarrassed mostly yeah. that night. Yeah. But his parents were, every time they spoke, the whole train sort of looked. And, yeah. and, and that, was, that, that was me though. I, I was... Uh, I would avoid those scenarios, though, like from a very young age. It was amazing how I, I went missing in action. But it, it was really to save myself. And my whole family did it. I didn't just... Uh, m- maybe I would have found that that out by myself, but uh, I, I noticed my other brothers and sisters were doing it, so I followed suit. Mm. Uh, it, it was just a little bit more time for peace. That said, you know, when you're... A kid 12 years old and younger and you're taking yourself from tr- train station to train station miles away from your home, There, there is that, oh, I don't know if I should be doing this, you know, yeah. and oh, geez, I, and then you, you suddenly become aware of how you're in the adult's world now 
but but you're a kid and yeah. and but but that all said those moments I used to kind of live for uh to get away you know just to get away from my home mm. it, it, that's the kind of pressure and anxiety it, it put on me yeah yeah I think when the uh, embarrassment becomes shame it, yeah. it it really sits heavily on yeah. on kids yeah um so how how did you cope with this increasing anxiety and yeah, I, um, I I really did stay at work as long as I could, and, and I did this. I actually, once I got used to the work hours of a forty-hour week, my next move, and this this just kept happening over the next few years, would be to get a second job. Okay, just as I could be out the home more, uh, until I you know had enough money where I was I, I knew I could rent, and I did that. I moved out at sixteen and, and was renting my own place. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I understand you, uh, you're a bit of a musician. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so when did, did you, when did you start getting into that? Uh, Twelve years old, I picked up a guitar and, and yeah, I never looked back. It, it was such an out for me that, um, yeah, the time in that was just, uh, I can imagine being a rock star. And because of my dad's grandiosity, <laughs> he um, he fed all us boys with that Um I, I notice now I do Alan on it. It's such a trait with um, alcoholics that um, they 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 really can be grandiose. Yeah. <laughs> and, and as a kid, I went, well, all right, I do want to be a rock star, so <laughs> I'll go with that. But it, it really was just something I fed um, to to keep myself alive, keep myself sane. When I say keep myself alive, to keep my my soul alive, I needed to dream something really big. Uh, given the cards I felt I'd been dealt. Yeah. Um, okay, well, we might swap over to Odette and give you a break. Um, so, Odette, I think we you were um, we finished off talking about you trying to fix Dan's behaviour. Your story's a bit in front of Dan's at this point. Mm-hmm. Dan. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so um, looking at living with somebody who's been affected by alcoholism, it's, it's called adult child in... In Alan, or in, in mm-hmm. the industry, I guess. Um, so, what's it like living with someone whose life's out of control, and you can't control it, and you're a controller? <laughs> it's kind of depressing that you can't control it. Um, it's extremely frustrating. Um, uh, you're desperate to actually fix this person, um, and you think it's your responsibility. Um, it, it just uh, I, I can honestly say I thought I was dying because I, I thought I was doing things extremely wrong, and I don't like failure. I've said that before. Mm-hmm. So yeah, trying to get on to get everybody on the one page, and you just couldn't get everybody at all on the one page. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I think, um, and you had some medical problems yourselves. That I did. I yeah. didn't realise. I yeah. didn't realise this for quite some time, but um, yeah. I I was I was I was kind of always like anxious, but um, I developed. The more I got stressed, um, I think it was feeding an autoimmune disease. I didn't know I had, but the 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 pressure on my body was just incredible with the anxiety that I was feeling. So yeah, that definitely caused. I think de- living with somebody that has been affected by alcoholism, um, you get as sick as they are. Like literally as sick. So, yeah, without yeah. Alan on, I don't think I'd be sitting in this chair. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, so, 
you um, and I guess it must have caused some conflict between you two with you trying to control the uncontrollable. Absolutely. Um, so what what was that like for you? Um, there was I, I was quite a peace, love and mung beans person when I met Dan and I became the screaming banshee from hell. I don't think I would recognize I, I honestly don't recognize that person from say six years ago when I found Alan on. Um, we were constantly at loggerheads. There was, you know, the fantastic silence, you know, because silence is such a wonderful tool, you know, just ignoring the person so they can stew in their own everything. Um, it, it, um, it, the, the pressure it puts on, like we were just yelling for no reason, doors slamming, um, constantly pointing fingers at each other and saying it's your fault, it's your fault and just not reasoning it out like normal people would do. There was no communication. This disease literally kills – it killed me it's to the extent that I just felt absolutely worthless. I didn't know. I couldn't even listen. My husband's a musician and I could hear the electricity current going into the computer, which was two rooms away. Yeah. I was not tense, yeah. never tense. <laughs> but that that it's the it, – it really – it was horrible to not be able to listen to music when I had loved music so much, and there was my husband who was a musician. So it, it was tearing us apart. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, back to you then, Dan. So how did, how did you get onto prescription medication? Uh, yeah, a cousin brought it to me. Um, he, he started using it for his own anxiety problems. Um, and, um, yeah, he, he just he just sort of gave it to me one day because uh, he noticed I was, I was anxious and, and he said it would work. And um, so I, I took it and, and it did work. It, it had like a – at the time it felt like a miracle. And I just thought – this is how mixed up my thinking was from the family I come from. Um, I just thought that was now how successful people <laughs> negated life. I thought, that's it, all right, I've, I've got it worked out, finally. Yeah. It was a disaster, a complete disaster for me. Right. Um, so as it started not working as, as well, what, what yeah. did you do? Uh, it, it, it's such a process of finding that out for yourself um, because at first – I did what I knew, and what I knew and what I was shown was to self-medicate my whole life. I was seeing my dad self-medicate with his alcohol. And then cousins and um, other family members just were, everybody was self-medicating on something or another. And um, so that became a pattern for me. And then uh, as I was, what what happens as time goes by is it's nowhere near as effective, Um, of course, you know, people change. Everybody, everybody yeah. changes rapidly and fast, and not for the better generally. So uh, I was finding that out, which added more pressure again, more anxiety. It just becomes an endless um, circle of um, chaos, and, and 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 my health just just now. Uh, you know, I've since found out that the medications I was using were for short term use, and and I wasn't using them short term now. They'd become something that were long term and now they were they were turning on me which is something I didn't I wasn't aware of at the time yeah so I was trying to put more in and getting less out yeah yeah absolutely right. and then the uh the, then also the uh the, the problems within that of uh addiction and um but just just mostly the fact that uh my ways were were now not working again I was back to that yeah 
Uh, so very frustrating, quite intense anxiety. Just everywhere I went, I had to monitor how much I blushed, whether I was going to blush. And my whole day was sort of navigating that, navigating navigating myself like I, I, I was looking through a mirror all the time and having to keep a check on that person because that person felt so unwell so yeah. often. I just thought if I could keep an image of it looking good, maybe yeah. that would be enough. But, of course, that wasn't. No, that's right. It's all on the outside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you're listening to Living Free on 3CR, on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. I'm talking to Odette and Daniel about living with the family disease of alcoholism. Um, so, Odette, um, Dan's behaviour is getting more and more unacceptable. Mm -hmm. more and more uncontrollable. Yep. Uh, So what do you do? I take up long-distance running. What else would you do? You just uh, get out on that pavement and try and run away from all of your problems because that just makes so much sense. Yeah. And so um, I was was running for quite a lot of years and I ended up um, deciding that I um, wanted to join a club. So I joined a club and I was running with um, some beautiful people on a Saturday morning and I was oversharing with them as we were running. They were probably thinking that they should run faster so they didn't have to listen to me. But one of the beautiful people there um, was listening from about April to December in um, 2011. And by the December she said, "Uh, Odette, there's a meeting and it's moved to the end of your street and I'm not kidding, this meeting had moved 250 metres away from my house. So she said, I think you should go. So in uh, January 2012, I walked into this room and I had no idea what um, what to expect. And I sat down and I started listening to what they were saying and I could not believe that nobody had directed me to this group. So since 1993, I'd been going to counsellors, doctors... Um, I was, you know, Dan had been in three rehabilitation um, facilities and not one person had mentioned Al-Anon family groups to me. And I literally felt home. I, I, I just, I, I wept because I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Yeah. And what were you hearing? I was hearing that it wasn't anything I could control and I actually wasn't responsible for it. So that little four-year-old that got told to look after her mother was all of a sudden getting these tools for life. So I, my beautiful parents, you know, they did the best they could, which I realised, but I was being given tools that I could navigate life with. Um, I didn't have to accept, you know, accepting life on life's terms but knowing what to get involved with and not what to get involved with. And, you know, um, with Dan it was his issue and I had to let him hit rock bottom which is the hardest thing you can do but um, the other focus was the first thing I heard when I went in there was if you look after yourself and if you um, become the best Odette you can be um, people are going to want literally a piece of that like as in they're going to want a piece of that serenity Um, and I thought my gosh I, I, I can do that because I can't influence any other person by telling them what to do I actually have to live it. Um, the other thing that I was so grateful for because so many people were willing to give advice on what I should do, leave your husband, do this, do that, whatever, they didn't tell me what to do. 
Like when, I, when you go to Alon. You've got no, to figure that out yourself. Oh, yeah. my gosh, you've got to figure it out yourself. And it was so lovely because I think if somebody had told me what to do when I walked into those rooms, I would have run out screaming because, of course, I knew everything. So I had to find it out very gently that nobody tell like it was great. Nobody told you what to do. Nobody gives advice, but it was a great way to learn, listen and learn. Yeah. And the other thing I think is you've got to figure out who you are because oh. you spent so much time trying to please other people. You don't, Correct. You don't know. Yeah. I never knew. I, from a young age, I really didn't know who I was. And, you know, mentioning that I was a chronic people pleaser back then, you lose your identity. Um, so I'm actually still in the process of finding out who I am. And it's a wonderful journey. So how did Alan help you? It um, gave me, we talk about tools. Um, when I went into Al-Anon, I couldn't keep my thoughts straight. So like many um, other self-help groups, we use the serenity prayer. So God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And that just made me pause. And I, I got like permission to look after myself. Um, but also permission to leave other people alone. Like I didn't have to go in and fix them. My gosh, that was such a weight off my shoulders. I couldn't believe it. So, yeah, it was just permission to breathe, I think. Mm. Yeah, I've often heard it sort of talked about like um, you're in a tug of war and you just drop the rope. Absolutely. And you can just walk away. You're no longer influenced by the other person. Correct. And that's that's one of the big things, yeah, Bill, I, I, I heard too was... Don't, you know, just don't pull up, just let the rope go. And I'm thinking, what do they mean by that? Oh, my gosh. So it was not, I was part of the problem. I was, um, I was a lot of the problem. I was reacting every time something happened, I would be reacting. And so that would give Daniel an excuse to perhaps, you know, go and, and do something. like well, To get, justify his behavior. To justify yeah. his behavior. Yeah. yeah. It was, yes. Yeah. Um, so, Dan, how did that impact you? Big change. Oh, it was a huge change. Yeah. It was it was it was overwhelming at first, but it was um and I, I gotta be honest, I was a little bit um envious. I was quite envious actually and, and she was changing so so quick and so much for the better, I got a little bit jealous and I got a bit uh victimy about it for me because I had noticed she'd got better and I'd got worse. Just yeah. gradually a bit worse. And um but but that that was a great effect for me to see. Actually, I I, I I was able to turn it into a blessing and and say to myself, look, um, you know, you'd been promised many things would work, different things that that hadn't worked so well. Um, but but I was seeing the results on this, and I'd been reading the literature that 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 Odette was bringing in the house, the Al-Anon literature. And so it was slowly aligning to me that perhaps I needed to go to these meets and sit down and put some time in. And, um, yeah, slowly but surely I I turned that negative into a positive and, um, yeah, I was able to uh, go. Yeah. So what was it like going to your first meeting, having denied problems all your life? How do you do this? Oh, it was humbling. (laughs) I felt like a a five-year-old child driving there. It It was... like a five-year-old, but I, I, I actually uh, I found it really tough to get into the to the meets from my car. But I but I worked out a process of just getting out the car, breathing a lot, yeah. going to the toilet, putting water on my face, breathing some more, yeah. and um, yeah, I eventually learned the serenity prayer, and, and I would use that too. But but to get in that first th- those first bunch of meets, 
you know, I see, see people come in now and they, they, they say how unwell they are. And that's exactly yeah. what I said. I, I, I knew within a short amount of time, number one, these people had my life story. They, they, and I thought I was alone. I don't know why, but I just did. And, and I think because it's a disease that, that makes you isolate, you know, yeah. I, I certainly did. Yeah. yeah, I think we think we're terminally unique. Yeah, and what is that? Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah that's, that's a bad place to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how did that change the way you perceived yourself? I'm going to say you were sort of a victim and a perpetrator. So mm-hmm. was that a sort of a conflict for you? Yeah, it was a large conflict. Um, I felt like a victim because of my dad's drinking. I felt like a perpetrator because of my marriage and my medication use. And... Um, so I felt guilty being there half the time, but I also heard uh, so many great things that that I was definitely meant to be there. Um, and and the fact that I, after my first meet, it was, it was undeniable to me that this this was going to work, or this was certainly going to have some great things in store for me. I could I I just got that, and and the people were good. The people were um, nice and fair. People. So I said, they don't tell you what to do. You do that. That's the great thing of the twelve-step um, program. You you have to put the time in, which makes you think about it. You work on yourself, and um, I don't think that's ever a bad thing. No, no, I agree. <clears throat> okay, um, so Odette, um, once you got into Alan, once you realised that you had a bit of spare time in your hands because you didn't have to. <laughs> Uh, manage Dan's life anymore so uh, what did you do? <laughs> well I started getting better um, I I noticed that I actually had time um, for me um, things would quieten down um, quite a bit I was able to um, use not just not use the program in the relationship that I had with with my husband Dan but just the um being able to use it in every aspect of my life because the disease had affected every aspect of my life my civilian job was suffering my um you know the marriage was suffering everything but people in Al-Anon can actually see in you sometimes what you can't see in yourself so um I ended up um, in service uh, because somebody saw that I was able to, um, you know, maybe do some minutes or something like that. And thank God they that happened because my um, my service work through Al-Anon actually brought me back to life with my civilian job. So I've probably I owe it to Al-Anon that I actually am an employable person now because you actually don't see how far like how low you've become when this disease constantly affects you. Um, no, you're always concentrating on the other person. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and how about you, Dan? What's the what's the change in you having been to meetings? Uh, regular meets is, um, I think the biggest thing for me actually is uh, I get to process now. I get to think better. I get to think through what Dan's capable of. And, and I have... Um, an art, you know, an arsenal of artillery, uh, things, tools I can use that are very practical. Uh, one of my favourites is just to think, 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 and and what that is, uh, the sl- what the slogan means to me is that we think, we stop, we assess, think, stop, and reassess again. And the reason somebody like me needs to do that, an adult child, is because I've spent so much time, uh, you know, being in a skewed perception. 
having grown up in the alcoholic home. And now now I'm getting, you know, Alan on helps me to get a much more fair observation on life and reality. So my paradigms aren't all over the place anymore. They're grounded in something that, that's that's real to me and that's, uh, that's much fairer on Dan, you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I think the yeah, I, I also heard that um you'll never get ahead if you're always trying to get even. And I was always yeah. trying to get even because I felt so hard done by. Yeah. And um yeah, so that's uh, I think it's really important to yeah, to take the pressure off yourself. Absolutely. It's not going to happen quickly. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, we've um we've come pretty much to time. Um if anybody's out there who'd like to contact Alan on, um, Alan on Family Groups, you can find out more about um, alcoholism. You can contact them by phone on 1300 252 666 or you can go online at alanon.org.au. Uh, well, that's all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Odette and Daniel for coming in today and sharing their Alan Family Groups recovery experience with us. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, Bill. Uh, next week is NADOC week 2018 and the Living Free show will be having a break as 3 pre- 3CR presents Beyond the Bars 2018, which is Australia's only live prison radio broadcast giving voice to Aboriginals, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates. From Monday the 9th to January the 13th, uh, 3CR will bring you the voices of men and women on the inside of six prisons around Victoria. Listen in next Thursday the 12th of July between 12 and 4 as Beyond the Bars visits Port Phillip Prison in Laverton. Unfortunately, Carrie Lee can't be here today for Black Noise Radio, but she's queued up some songs featuring Aboriginal women's music. I'd like to um, say thanks again for listening to Living Free Program.